This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic subject matter and is meant for mature listeners only. Previously on Bardstown. I'm just saying, you know more than we do. Whether that's a simple conversation with your brother or whether you were physically involved out there, I can't tell you. Either one of those things would explain what I'm seeing. My hunch is it's something that your brother told you. I don't know anything. He has not spoken to me about this. I don't know nothing about this. Nothing at all. And I had nothing to do with it. I don't know anything. It would have been almost impossible to live in Bardstown, Kentucky in 2015 and not sense the shadow that lingered over the town. A town wrestling with the reality of three unsolved murders and the disappearance of a young mother. In the wake of the violence, lives had been shattered. And in a lot of ways... Bardstown would never be the same. I'm Shay McAllister. This is Bardstown. Crystal Rogers' mother, Sherry, filed a missing persons report on July 5th, 2015. Crystal's car had been found, but other than that, it was as if she had vanished. Brooks Houck, Crystal's boyfriend and father to her son, the man she'd told her mom she was planning to leave, is interviewed by police. And Brooks' brother, Bardstown police officer Nick Houck, who had once served alongside murdered police officer Jason Ellis, fails a polygraph when he's questioned about Crystal's disappearance. The conversation is heated and dark. What do you think should happen to somebody? Say they, they killed somebody in the heat of the moment. Just kind of a, it was, they didn't really mean to. I think they're just as guilty as somebody that killed them anyway. Yeah, I don't have any patience for that kind of crap. Do you think any of them should be given a second chance? No. I don't believe in taking chances. We don't need them here on Earth. When Crystal went missing, Nick was obviously one of our officers. And when Nick kind of removed himself from the whole investigation of, again, your brother's fiance, whatever they were, you know, child in common, he just totally removed himself. And, I, you know, I remember saying, Nick, do you need some time off to help with the search? You know, I was going to, well, I'd have covered his shift. I mean, nah, I'm all right. You know, uh, hmm, okay. I thought, I thought it was odd. Nick's attitude and lack of concern doesn't sit well with McCubbin. My concern was one of my officers didn't seem concerned, and he wouldn't cooperate when the investigators wanted to talk to him. Once the investigators, I guess, obviously, wanted to speak with Brooks and work with Brooks and interview Brooks. Nick kind of injected himself in a way that I didn't like. Ethics and integrity sometimes are all we have. And um, I didn't think he displayed a good uh, example of either. After his polygraph results come in, Nick's brought into an administrative hearing and called into McCubbin's office. I called him in one day and I said, I'm going to fire you. We have a process in Kentucky. I said, I'm going to fire you. Now, obviously, again, the mayor's the ultimate, but I said, I am going to the mayor as soon as you leave this office and you're not going to wear a badge. You, you do not deserve to be a police officer. And he was very, okay. <laughs> I thought, wow, okay. <laughs> so I, I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty beside myself on just that candor as well. And in September 2015, Nick is suspended without pay from the Bardstown Police Force. You're about to lose your career as a law enforcement officer because you're not acting like a cop. And I remember telling him that day, and I said, you know, I'm going to take pleasure in firing you, and I don't like firing cops. I don't like disciplined cops. 
but I'm going to take pleasure in this because you do not deserve to be a police officer with what's happening in this community, what's going on, and your lackadaisical candor of just removing yourself and acting as if something, nothing happened. I said, I don't want you here. And ultimately, Mayor John Royalty does fire Nick. Nick got fired for what he didn't do, not what he did. And for interfering with an investigation when he called his brother during a police interview. Yeah, I got him basically, you know, just violating our oath of office, you know, conduct unbecoming a police officer. Things that, again, you as a civilian would look at and go, what does that even mean? But we as a cop, we know we don't get to do those things. So that's strictly what I, because I had nothing on him. So I couldn't, you know, bring him, you know, like if I was going to charge a civilian with something, I couldn't do that. But I could get him on the badge and the oath. And, and that's exactly what I got him on. And then, the same day that Nick is fired from the Bardstown Police Force, investigators announced the first major update in the case of the missing mother. Brooks Houck, the father of Crystal's son, her boyfriend, and the last person to see her alive, is named as the primary suspect in the case. Sheriff's Department says that they still do not have enough evidence to make an arrest in the case, but the sheriff has eight pages of, quote, circumstances leading him to believe Brooks Houck is responsible for Roger's disappearance and for what may have happened to her. I remember the day that Brooks was announced uh, the number one suspect and Nick was fired. They had all went to Mamie's kitchen. Angie Bischoff, the leader of Team Crystal, meets up with everyone at the popular downtown diner. But first... She runs into Tommy outside. Tommy was out, and he was he was talking on the phone. I walked up, and he put his head down, shook his head, and he was crying. And he said, I guess you heard. And I said, yes. And he said, you know what they told me? I said, what, what did they tell you, Tommy? He goes, they told me, let's face it, you all know more about searching and investigating than we do. We don't have the manpower. God is my witness is exactly what he told me. I don't know what officer told him that. But I said, they're right. He said, that's a shame. That's a shame. He said, they're not going to find my daughter. They're not even going to try. Of course, he's, you know, he's, I felt the same way. Roadside signs throughout Bardstown indicate a common opinion among some locals. They read, Nick failed a polygraph and... Brooks is the only suspect in the disappearance of Crystal Rogers. Along Stephen Foster Boulevard, heading out of town, is a large billboard. On it, an ad for State Farm. The other half, a larger-than-life photo of Crystal Rogers and a missing poster, stating in all caps, Last seen July 3rd by Brooks Houck, who was named the main suspect in her disappearance, according to the Nelson County Sheriff's Department. Then... A new name enters the picture, Danny Singleton. And this is just into our newsroom. We're learning this information just moments ago. An arrest has been made in connection to a person named Brooks Houck, who is the uh, boyfriend of Crystal Rogers, who was that missing mother of five. Singleton, an employee of Brooks Houck, is arrested for perjury in December of 2015 after he testifies to a grand jury regarding the case of Crystal Rogers. What we know about him is that he's a longtime friend, full-time employee, and tenant of Brooks Houck. Tommy Ballard knows about Danny. 
Brooks would take him to work and leave him, and Crystal would go get him and take him home sometime. And, and to think that he would help them do something to Crystal. And I always said, if anybody knows anything, it's going to be him. That's be the only one he would trust. According to court records, he lies to the grand jury about his whereabouts during the time frame when Crystal disappeared. Subsequently, he's indicted on 38 counts of perjury with a penalty of one to five years in prison. And the Commonwealth's attorney says the evidence against him will show, quote, Crystal's car arrived at the Bluegrass Parkway during this time period and that Hauk would probably need help if he disposed of a body. Singleton testifies to the grand jury that he was in Louisville on July 3rd, 2015 and went to a bar with another person. A portion of the prosecutor's evidence and testimony against him also includes video of Danny Singleton's polygraph, where he confesses that he lied to the grand jury, as well as a witness that refutes his claims and indicates he was home on July 3, 2015. Then, in January 2016, two Nelson County inmates come forward, pointing the finger at Singleton as the person who killed Crystal. But after more questioning, Vincent Nethery and Donald Howard admit to lying in an effort to be released from jail and are charged with falsely reporting an incident. Singleton's charges are amended to the lesser charge of 38 counts of false swearing, a penalty of up to 90 days in jail for each count. He is sentenced to 360 days. But then, eight months into his sentence, Singleton is released from prison and given two years probation. One man, the only man who's been charged now in their daughter's case, is being released from jail. Sherry Ballard gets a phone call about Singleton's release from the county attorney's office. He told me that that's a year in jail. So I said, okay, so that's a year. So does that mean he has time served? And he said, pretty much. Well, I don't know if you ever get used to it, but I'm kind of getting used to everything. I was getting slapped in the face with stuff. But, you know, we've been disappointed so many times that you get to where you don't know what to think anymore because you just don't know. You don't know who to trust, you don't know what to do. I would like him to look me in my face and tell me he had nothing to do with my daughter. In August 2016, police searched Nick and Brooks' grandmother, Anna Whiteside's home. And when I got here, I asked the sheriff's department what they was doing, and he said, all he said is, I told you we hadn't stopped working on this case. I watched them pack vacuum cleaners and shop vacs out and a lot of bags, so I... I feel good. It makes me feel good. Police also attempt to seize Whiteside's white Buick to test for potential DNA evidence. It matches a car a witness reported seeing nearby the Hauk family farm in a, quote, peculiar location during the time frame that Crystal went missing. But before they can execute the search warrant, she sells her car. Further, she invokes her Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination when she's subpoenaed to testify in front of a grand jury. The prosecutor says she's not a suspect in the case. They also searched the house where Nick was living at the time Crystal disappeared, a small, tan home. But investigators don't release what they're looking for, or what, if anything, they find. I just feel like they're getting closer. As police search Brooke and Nick's mother, Rosemary Houck's secluded, sprawling, 245-acre farm off Highway 46 
For the third time since 2015, Sherry Ballard is hopeful. Whether they find something on the farm or they don't, I still feel like that's where it happened. That's just how I feel. I feel like that always. I've been trying to get this search warrant for 14 months now, so, and they're back, so they must have something or they couldn't get back on the farm. This time, Detective John Snow has a dive team, 18 cadaver dogs, and 30 law enforcement officers in tow. And in the first of their two-day search, they do find items, but they don't say what. The Ballard family remains frustrated, waiting for answers, praying for justice. I don't feel like they was educated enough to solve this murder case in Nelson County. I think they should have got somebody higher up to start with, but they wouldn't do it. They didn't even want the state police come in at first, if I'm telling it right. That's the way I think that they wanted to handle it themselves, the Sheriff's Department in Nelson County. They weren't capable of solving a murder case. They sent eight people to search a 250-acre farm. The family had to beg a judge to get a court order to search that farm. Eight people. Well, when they go out there to the farm, they found a spot in this barn. As I was told, there was three little Jack Russell dogs. They let them out one at a time. They went to this certain spot in the barn and they just let it go. Then, next time, what, a year, year and a half later, they sent 28 out there to search a 250-acre farm. We watched that search. But anyway, I don't know why they didn't file up on where the dogs hit on that spot in the barn. And one of the detectives told me they think that's where Crystal was killed, in that barn. The first week, they should have solved this case. You bring a suspect in to ask him questions, you don't hand him a damn tissue you think there's been mistakes made since day one? I do, yeah. Yes, I do. I think there should have been, could have been more done that first week. I think he lost a joke. Tommy Ballard talks solemnly about his missing daughter, Crystal Rogers. It's really hard knowing they know who they think did it. And these people are going on with their everyday life. And they've got their family enjoying Thanksgiving today. And we don't have Crystal. And, and Tommy told me one time, he said, Sherry, maybe they just have her somewhere. You know, and I said, he was trying to make me feel better. And I said, so what do you think they're going to do? Hold her and then tell her, you know, give, them, give her back to us later? I said, no. I said, I don't feel like she's here. I have two options. Either she's out there somewhere and they're doing something to her or she's gone. And I know this may sound terrible, but it's easier for me to think that she's gone and she's in heaven than it is for me to think she's out there. Unlike the first three murders in town, Crystal's case has a suspect, but Sherry is still waiting for his arrest. Before, when the old sheriff was here, it was hard. My last encounter with that old sheriff, I was in there and the sheriff and his deputy were in there. And I looked at the sheriff, and that's the day that they said that um, Crystal was deceased and that they put out that information and uh, either that or Nick got fired. I don't know exactly which one. I think it might have been that Nick got fired. But I remember I looked at Ed Mattingly and I told him, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, when did y'all know you were putting that information out there? 
And he pushed his chair back and he jumped up and he said, I said exactly what y'all want me to say. And he got up and walked out of the room and slammed the door and he never talked to me after that. Still to this day, if I see him in town, he does not speak to me. Do you feel safe in Bardstown? I don't let Brooks Hawk scare me. I mean, if, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I'm going to die. That's just how I look at it. I don't... I mean, I'm not stupid. I don't put myself in positions that could be dangerous for me and the kids. But we have a life to live, and we're not going to be scared to death of the Hawks. You know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to barricade myself in my house and never come out. Um, We don't go down at the barn at night and stuff like that, you know. I probably even feel safer in this town, actually, because so many people know my story now, and they look out for me. I mean, like, last night I had an incident where I had to call the fire department to my home. My son knew about it immediately because... People were calling him, is your mom okay? Is your mom okay? So I do have people that love us and do care about us and what happens to us. I see Brooke about ever, probably four or five times a week. Now the other rest of them, I don't ever see them. I don't, I, don't, I don't see them out. I don't like it a bit, but there's nothing I can do about it. I saw him last Thursday, him Eli. And I saw him this morning at the bank. And... You just gotta, I just don't look at him. I, when I know he's there, I just, I just go on about my business. And, but it, it's hard. I don't know what's gonna become of all this. I hope to bring my daughter home. I hope it's to open the eyes of law enforcement and everyone in this town as to what's going on really in this town. I mean, Barstown's a pretty town, it is. It could be better. Uh, No one wants this hanging over Bardstown's head. I don't want that. I've lived here my whole entire life. But somewhere people are pushing stuff in the back and ignoring it. And that's don't sit good with me at all. So I hope people are aware of what's happening and things will get better. And no family ever has to go through what my family has been through. Along with Team Crystal, Sherry and Tommy searched day and night for their missing daughter. But then, on a brisk November morning in 2016, Sherry Ballard gets a phone call. A phone call that changes everything as another bombshell hits Bardstown. Next time on Bardstown. I remember going back to my bedroom and on the way to the bed, You know, I just said, God, look over them in the woods today. And I said it out loud, you know, I I guess I was talking to God out loud, but, and I laid back down. You know, we're out here during deer season, you know, you don't really go out in the woods, you know, for fear of getting shot, but, you know, that's not a hunting accident. The chances of that being a hunting accident would be less than being struck by lightning.
Bardstown is a Vault Studios production. You can find Vault Studios on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and learn about our other shows at vaultstudios.com. Visit our website, bardstownpodcast.com, for more background and information about the cases we cover in the podcast. I'm Shay McAllister. A special thanks to our team, investigative journalist Jessica Knoll, producers Beth Peak and Spencer Brudig. Adam Ostro and Will Johnson are our executive producers. Audio production by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. 